Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're in this series called Health Check, and we've been in this series for nine Sundays now. And uh, the idea is really just to present some biblical principles and some verses out of the Bible that will help you to understand how you're doing spiritually. Uh, Sometimes uh, we could come to church and, and not really have the right kind of a spirit. Sometimes we can be involved in a ministry, but we're not, our heart is not really in it. And uh, sometimes we can go through the motions without really having that strong spirit that God desires of us. And uh, so we've been taking a look at a number of different principles, verses out of God's Word that are just between you and the Lord and your spiritual life, just as a, a check for, all right, how am I doing spiritually? I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you're here in the church services, Uh, but sometimes we could come to the church services and still have sin in our hearts. And sometimes we can participate in a ministry, but still be bitter against somebody else in the church. And and all of these things can can, kind of get masked by the fact that we might be involved in something, or we might be here in a service, or or we're even giving in the offering. But we want to really know, how am I doing? Am I healthy? Do I not just look good on the outside, but uh, do I have spiritual strength and health on the inside? And so we took a look at a number of verses and principles, areas in our lives that we should check. We should check our spiritual appetite. Do you have a hunger for the Word of God and for the things of God? Check your diet. Are you regularly consuming the Word of God? Or are you consuming just the things of the world? We need to check our love. Do we have a love for the Lord? Do we have a love for others? Do we have a desire to reach people with the gospel? And is that at the forefront of our minds that we know that there are lost people around us that need to be saved and and we're going to uh, do what we can? Check our attitude over sin. Have we become complacent over sin? Allowed sin in our lives? Allowed sin to stay in our lives? And and we've just become accustomed to having that in our hearts and in our lives. And and, uh, we need to check our forgiveness, right? whether we're willing to forgive others of their trespasses against us. That's, that says nothing about the, the reality of the offense, but it says something about our hearts and about how we respond to sin and offenses against us. Last week, we took a look at our spirit. All right, what kind of attitude do we carry with us? Do we have a joyful spirit? Do we have a loving spirit? Do we, are we faithful? Are we thankful? All of these things. And today, we're going to conclude the series taking a look at where all of this is going. We've taken a look at so many things about what is going on right here and right now, but everybody is going to be somewhere someday. And we're here today in order to let people know where all of this is going. And if you're saved, praise the Lord, you will be in heaven. If you are not saved, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, you will not be in heaven. But you could be. You could trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You could call upon the name of the Lord. You could confess your sins. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Putting all of your faith upon the Lord and His blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You could know today that heaven is your home. 
you could know for sure that you will be in eternity with heaven because anybody can get saved. And God desires that everybody be saved. So the first step, of course, is if you're not saved here today, you must be born again. That's step number one. But for those of you that are saved, we have to think about this place where we're going, this place called heaven, because eternity is coming. And I want to ask you the question, are you looking forward to that place? Another way of phrasing it is, do you yearn for heaven? Do you long for heaven? I want to take a look at a few aspects of heaven and the yearning for heaven that indicates to us how we are doing spiritually. So first of all, I want to see the purpose for yearning for heaven. Why should we yearn for heaven? Why should we think about this place called heaven? And why should we have such a strong desire to be there? You might have a friend that has a favorite restaurant, or you might have somebody that you know that has a favorite vacation spot. And you might ask them, what's so special about this restaurant? And they'll go on telling you, oh man, the ambiance is so great, and, and the service is always excellent, and the food is fantastic, and they have this dish that I've never seen anywhere else. I mean, time I go, I have to get that, and, and uh, they'll tell you about this, or they have a favorite vacation spot. Oh, when you go, you need to go try this restaurant. You need to go stay at this place. You need to go try these things, and, and you might have some people that are really excited every time they think about that restaurant, or that vacation, or that place that they get to go. They're excited about it because they know what is there. Sometimes I wonder, do we as Christians know what is there? Really, the question is, what's so great about heaven? You might be living here on earth and thinking, earth is pretty good. Boy, I have a lot of money. I get to go eat at fancy restaurants. I get to go on nice vacations. I have a nice house. I, I get to have a lot of fun. Earth is pretty good. What's so great about heaven? Well, let me tell you what's so great about heaven. Actually, let me let the Bible tell you what's so great about heaven. Because I've never been to heaven. And you've never been to heaven. But God is there in heaven, and God's going to tell us what's so great about heaven. The first of which is the removal of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse number 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under, under sin. And Paul begins to describe the spiritual battle that goes on in his heart. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. For that I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That do I. How many of you will be honest and be like, that sounds like me. <laughs> I think that all the time. Uh, the things I know I should do, I don't do them. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do those things. And I hate to do it, but I still end up doing it. And the things I really want to do, for some reason, I have a hard time doing it. I mean, that's, that's Paul describing his own personal Christian walk. He said, if I then... If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. No, uh, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. 
I do want to do good, but I really struggle with doing what I ought to do. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He feels like he's in, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, some sort of prison because of the flesh and the sin and the temptation and the lust. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I, I can't wait to be free. To be free from sin, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. When you get to heaven, there will be no more spiritual battle in your heart. Sin will be gone. Now, when you get saved, you are saved from the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord. You never have to worry about having put your trust in Christ, whether or not God will spare you from judgment, the judgment of hell. You know that God has delivered you and you are saved and you're on your way to eternity, for all, uh, on your way to heaven for all of eternity. But here on earth, we still struggle with sin. Every single one of us, every single day. You know what is so great about heaven? That struggle will be gone. Every temptation wiped away. No more sin. No more lust, no more temptation, no more spiritual battle. And that's a good thing because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Sin is what brought about the curse on this earth and the curse in our, in our bodies and the problems in this life. You know where every single problem in this world comes from? It comes from sin. And God says in heaven, there will be no more sin. I'm going to take that all away. But when you think about that, you got to think, boy, heaven must be a wonderful place. It is a wonderful place. Are you looking forward to that place? Heaven will remove all of those things. Revelation 21 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. God says, you want to know how great heaven is? Think about all the things that I'm going to take away. No pain, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Here is John the apostle. And he said unto me, write for these words are true and faithful. You can see the desire of John and how great God is communicating to, uh, to us really about how wonderful heaven is because of the removal of sin, the removal of death, the removal of sorrow and pain. All of those things will be gone. Heaven is a wonderful place. But not only that, heaven is our home. Heaven is the home of every believer and not just any home our forever home. We're going to be there for all of eternity. You know, the Bible talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob there in the Old Testament. You know that uh, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that God called Abraham out of his country, out from among his family to go to the promised land. 
Now, when you think about the promised land, you might think about, well, you know, it's going to be an awesome place and so wonderful, and there's going to be so many things over there. And, and uh, Abraham was called to the promised land, and when Abraham got to the promised land, you know what he saw? Not much. You know, when he got there, he didn't see a big welcome sign. Welcome to the promised land, Abraham. He didn't get a big mansion waiting for him and, and no city and street and home. In, in fact, when Abraham moved to the promised land, he was living in a tent because he was traveling along. After he got to the promised land, you know what the Bible says? He was still living in a tent. Some promised land, you know, that's what we might think. Oh, still living in a tent here. But you know, the Bible says something very clear about Abraham. That his ultimate eye for where he was going to be, the ultimate promised land, was not any land here on earth. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know what Abraham was thinking as he got to the promised land? He was thinking, this is a strange land. These people don't worship the same God I worship. They don't think the way that I think. They don't live the way that I live. They don't do what I do. They don't say what I say. I'm a stranger here. I'm a stranger in this land. You know, the Bible uses the word pilgrim. For me, what I picture in, in, when I hear pilgrim is, you know, Thanksgiving. You know, the pilgrims. And on the ship, and the hats, and, you know, the turkey, or whatever, you know, that's what I think of in Pilgrim, when you, maybe that's what you think, but a pilgrim is somebody who's living temporarily in a place that is not his home. You know what? We're pilgrims here. We're here right now. You have a home that you're going to go to tonight, but this is not our home. If you're saved, you're a pilgrim, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Sometimes we sing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. He's describing being a pilgrim. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know what makes heaven so wonderful is it'll feel like home. As a believer, you ever walk out into this world and feel like, I don't fit in here. Boy, everybody else is doing something else. Everybody else is dressing differently. Everybody else is living differently. Everybody else is watching different things. Everybody else is listening to different things. Everybody else is living completely differently from me. I feel like I don't fit in. It's because this world is not our home. We don't belong here. You know where we belong? We belong in heaven. 
This place where God will ultimately take us and, and Christians that grow in, the, in their spiritual walk, they begun, begin to long for heaven. They begin to understand this world is not my home. I don't feel so uh, at home here because I know there is sin, there is wickedness, there is temptations, there's conflicts, there's the curse of sin upon this land and, and death and sorrow and pain and, and all of these things and the, and the way of the world is not the way of God and I'm trying to follow God and this place, I just don't fit in. But heaven is a wonderful place because heaven is our home. Heaven is glorious, not just because of what is not there, sin. And not just because what is there. There's the streets of gold, there's the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper. Heaven is a glorious place because of who will be there. Earlier this year, my wife and I we, uh, and our family, we went over to New Jersey and we were there in the springtime. And uh, so we had not been to see my uh, wife's side of the family. You know, they had come and visited. We'd seen them here and there. But we hadn't taken a family trip since uh, 2019. So it's been a number of years. And so we thought, you know, now's a good chance. Why don't we go over there? And so we scheduled something out and we flew out. Um, and so we took our family and we went over there. And uh, my wife and my kids, they stayed there a little bit longer. So they were there two or three weeks, something like that. Uh, but I had to come back. You know, I had to come back and I had to preach and I had to do the ministry here. And so uh, they were there for a couple of weeks, about, you know, two to three weeks. And I came back after a week. So I, I was gone and I came back. And uh, so I got in an airplane and uh, honestly, the, the plane was, uh, plane ride was pretty nice because I was in an exit row which means you get a little bit more leg room. And uh, it just so happened that the way that people got shuffled around, there was nobody else in the exit row, just me. And so not only do I have extra leg room, I have extra trade tables, extra space, you know, to just put things. And so it was kind of nice. And so I kind of had a nice flight back and I had somebody pick me up and, and drop me off at home. And so I got home. And I don't know about you, I love traveling, I love going to new places, seeing new things, trying new foods and things like that, but there's nothing like going home and sleeping in your own bed. I, maybe you're not like that, but I'm definitely like that. There's just something about when you go home and you go to your bedroom and you lay down in your bed, you feel like, ah, I'm home. And it feels good. And so I, I, I was home. But I was home by myself for a week or two. You know, and I had some people joke around, hey, isn't it nice, you know, you get the whole place to yourself. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have to clean up after my kids. You know, I don't have to, you know, put them to bed and do this and that and all of that or whatever. Yeah, that, that, that's true, but you know what? Home is at home without my family. It's not the same when my wife and my kids aren't there. It's not the same. It's my home. It's where I live. But my kids aren't there. My wife isn't there. This, this, this is home, but it doesn't feel like home yet. When my wife and my kids came, then it's home. It's home before, but then it's really home when they are there. There's something about home, not just being a place, but about who is there with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 6 says, Therefore we always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two. I'm between a rock and a hard place. I don't know which one to choose. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I can't wait to go home. I can't wait to be separated from this body of sin. I can't wait to be with my Savior. And the more we love the Savior, the more we long to be with Him. The more that you desire to be there, the more all of the other things are nice. Oh, the streets of gold, they're, they're going to be nice. Your mansion is going to be the best mansion that you've ever seen. The gates are going to be incredible, the walls, the angels, everybody. It's going to be great. But more than anything else, heaven is the place where our Savior will be waiting for us. David Brainerd was a, a missionary here in America in the early 1700s. He was a missionary to the Native Americans. He died, though, at a very young age. He died at the age of 29. He was a missionary, died, and, but he left a journal behind. He would write some notes, write some thoughts, and uh, they took his journal and they published it. And in his diary, when he was about 24 years old, on a Saturday, on June the 12th, he wrote, spent much time in prayer this morning and enjoyed much sweetness, felt insatiable longings after God much of the day. I wonder how poor souls do to live that have no God, the world with all its enjoyments quite vanished. I see myself very helpless, but I have a blessed God to go to. I longed exceedingly to be dissolved and to be with Christ, to behold his glory. Oh, my weak, weary soul longs to arrive at my father's house. You can see the longing of David Brainerd to be with Christ, to be with the Savior. Revelation chapter 22, he which testifies saith these things, surely I come quickly. I'm going to be back soon is what Jesus said. And here's the John the Apostle. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. Heaven is a wonderful place and a place that Christians desire and long for as they grow in their Christian walk. But then it draws us secondly to the principles from yearning for heaven. If we know that heaven is coming for all that are saved, well, it should change something about me. And it's going to change some things about you. It's going to change your interest in the Savior. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you were dead in sins and made alive because of Christ, you can't just say, thanks, see you later. Have a good life. Right? You can't say that. If Christ died for your sins, you will be supremely interested in this person and who this person is and what this person desires and having a relationship with heaven. We ought to be extremely uh, 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 captivated by Jesus Christ to please him and to not displease him because he's the reason you get to go to heaven. He's the only reason you get to go to heaven. 
And so that ought to draw out of us this interest in the Lord. First John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we, should not, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. There's a desire to grow in the Christian walk because we know we're going to be there with our Savior. But also yearning for heaven will affect how we invest our time and our lives. You're there in Colossians chapter 3. We read verse number 1 just a second ago. Now take your eyes to verse number two. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I went to uh, Bible college at, uh, at West Coast Baptist College up there in Lancaster, and uh, you know, I was there for two years, enjoyed my time greatly, learned a lot. And, uh, but before I went, I'd never been to this place. So I wanted to go see what it was. I was considering another Bible college. And so between the two, I'd been to one already. And so I decided, you know what, maybe I'll check out this other one. And so I went, I went down and, uh, I went and visited. And, uh, when I went, you know, I had registered and did all of that, you know, and so they said, uh, oh, we'll have somebody come pick you up at the airport and, uh, we're going to have a room for you. So they had a, a dorm uh, bed ready for me. And so there's uh, two bunk beds, there's four beds, but there's only three people, three guys in there at the time. And uh, their names were Jonathan, Jonathan, and Jonathan. <laughs> I promise. I was like, oh, what's your name? And he said, my name is John. It's Jonathan, but my name is John. And I met another guy and he said, oh, my name is Jay. But actually, you know, what's funny is my real name is actually Jonathan. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then the other guy was like, well, actually, my middle name, I think, is Jonathan, you know, is how I remember it. My middle name is Jonathan, so I guess we're all Jonathan here. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And uh, so I, I went into the room and, uh, you know, I was there for a couple of days and uh, I, w I went back and uh, I got into that room that first day and uh, two of the guys were there. And uh, they said, oh, you know, there's another guy or whatever. And uh, boy, he is, he is happy as a clam. He just got engaged. So he had just proposed. He had just gotten engaged, like either the day before I got there or something like that, like right before I got there. And uh, so, but I was there in his room for about three or four days. We had some different conversations. You know, I was asking him about different things. I said, okay, you know, and I left. And uh, went, to, went to college there. And uh, I think he graduated before I got there in the fall. So he had already graduated, but I saw him a little bit later. And I said, hey, do you remember when I, you know, uh, came, I was in your room. And he said, no, I don't remember you at all. <laughs> And I said, oh, you know, that's okay. You don't have to remember me. But I distinctly remember thinking, you know, oh, is this what it's like when you get engaged? <laughs> you know, when you get engaged, all the world fades away and all you're thinking about is who I'm going to marry, what's going to happen on the wedding day, the rest of my life. I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life. And now you're thinking about all those things. When I got engaged, boy, I mean, 
If you look at our picture roll, you know, you'll see all these pictures of like, what do you think about this color? What about this flower? You know, what do you, you know, here was this invitation and that invitation and what about this and that and, and uh, going on the honeymoon and then getting an apartment, all these different things. And, you know, you have all of that stuff and you're, you're thinking about the wedding and planning for the marriage and that consumes everything because you know you're going to be spending the rest of your life with this person and you're excited about it. This person is a wonderful person and you can't wait to be married and to spend the rest of your life together journeying life with this other wonderful person you know what's interesting about weddings and marriage is that god designed the marriage god created marriage you know why god created marriage first of all because god is a good god and god wants to give blessings to us but also because it's a picture of our relationship with God. When you get saved, you get to look forward to the day when you will be married spiritually with Christ and there with him for all of eternity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery he says, we've known about marriage, but we didn't know what exactly, what kind of picture God was showing us. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Boy, we're going to be with Christ for all of eternity. Revelation chapter 19, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You know what God is saying to every believer today? Your wedding day is coming soon. Now you don't know what day it is. And I don't know what day it is. Now that strikes us as a little strange because I'm sure every one of us has gotten a save the date card, right? Or we've gotten a wedding invitation with the date. But back in the Bible days, they didn't send save the date cards and they didn't send wedding invitations with be here on this day at this time. You know, what would happen is the groom would go back to his father's house and he would prepare a home for his new family, for his new bride. So he would go home and he would build an addition onto his father's house. And when he was done, he would come get his bride. So he could show up and there's no internet. There's no text messages. There's no Pony Express even. There's nothing. So you just had to be ready. And so the groom would go and prepare. And whenever he showed up, well, that's when you're getting married. And so that's the way it was. It seems a little odd to us today that, you know, that a groom might just show up randomly at the bride's house and say, all right, you ready to get married? Let's get married. <laughs> you know, we might think, oh, you could give me a little time to prepare, but that's the way that it was. And it was a picture of what Christ is going to do for us. Christ is going to come. He's going to return. And it's going to be a great day because that day is going to be the day when we get to be with Christ forever. And we ought to be preparing for that day. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust uh, doth corrupt, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. You know what all of this is about? 
it's about preparing for your forever home with Christ in eternity. Just like when you're engaged, you think about putting all of your money into, oh, we need to get a place, we need to get maybe some uh, appliances, maybe you need to get some kitchen things, maybe you need to get some other things, you know, you're, you're putting all of that towards your future life together. In the same way, we here on earth can be preparing ourselves for our future life with Christ forever which will lead to us living a life of sanctification. Verse number five, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walk some time when ye lived in them. Hey, you're not going over there anymore. You're going to be with Christ for all of eternity. Hey, let's put aside those things and let's live as we will live when we are with Christ. Let's live in preparation for that day, which thirdly brings us to the practicalities of yearning for heaven. Okay, so heaven is coming for every believer. We ought to yearn for it. We ought to maybe think about how we can prepare for it, but we are not there yet. We are still here. So while we are here, what should we be doing? Should we just sit around daydreaming about heaven all day long? Should we just go and sell all of our goods and give it all away? Well, it's going to get burned up anyway. Let's just uh, think about heaven. Should we hide ourselves away from all the things of this world and live out on some hillside in a cave and away from all civilization? I mean, what, what exactly does it look like to live in preparation for heaven, having that yearning for eternity? We read the verse earlier in Philippians chapter 1. Let's go back there, Philippians chapter 1. He said in verse number 23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But if you back it up a couple of verses to verse number 20, I want to draw your attention there. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, God gave his life for me. I'm going to give my life for God. God has given me eternal life in heaven forever. I'm going to give God my limited, temporary life here on earth. I'm going to offer him my time before you're married. You might ask your fiance, hey, is there anything you need me to do? Anything you, you want me to do? Anything, any way in which I can help in preparation for that? You might offer him or her your treasures. You know, hey, is there anything I need to buy? Anything I need to order? Anything I need to get ahead of time? And of course, you're going to offer all of your thoughts. You can't be engaged to one and then flirting with another. You can't be heading towards an eternal life with one and then, you know, just thinking about some other things and other people. How can we be engaged to Christ but then live with another or live for another? Of course, that's going to change how we live. We ought to live our lives for the Lord because he is coming again. How do I live in a sacrificial life to the Lord? He continues in verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless... To abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Going to heaven is better for me, but serving on earth is better for you. That's what he's saying. Verse number 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you 
all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I would love to be in heaven, but I'm not there yet. I'm still here on earth. Being here on earth, I'm going to serve God with all of my life. How can I serve God? By serving the people of God. So he consumed himself with serving the people of God. Colossians chapter 3 expounds a little bit on the verses we saw earlier. Verse number 8. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Hey, don't do these things if you're going to live for God and serve others. You can't be angry. You can't have wrath. You can't have malice. You can't have filthy communication out of your mouth. You can't lie to each other. You can't do these things. Stop doing those things. Verse number 12, start doing these things. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So while I'm here on earth, I'm, lo I'm looking forward to heaven, but God has left me here, and so I'm still here. I'm going to serve the Lord with all that I can, uh, and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be forgiving. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalm and hymn and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So what he says is, all right, don't do these things. Don't have anger in your heart. Be loving, be forgiving, be kind, and teach each other the word of God. You know how you could serve people? Have a scriptural conversation. When was the last time you brought up the Bible in a conversation you had with another believer. That's what he's saying. You know how you could serve them? Bring them to the Bible. Oh, I'm really struggling with this thing. You know, the Bible says something about that. Oh, I'm really down about this. Here, let me encourage you out of the word of God. That would be a great thing. Let the word of God dwell in you. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So here's some big level principles of how we could serve each other. Now he's going to get real specific. Verse number 18, wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Colossians chapter 4, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So you know what longing for heaven looks like? It looks like serving other believers. It looks like husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to their husbands and children obeying their parents and parents raising up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's servants obeying their masters and masters being good to their servants. And it, it looks like us having a heart of kindness and having a heart of, uh, of uh, forgiveness. 
But lastly, what yearning for heaven looks like is a persevering soul winning. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Live your life according to the gospel so that others would see the gospel, that it would be consistent with the gospel, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what we as a church ought to be doing? The church, of course, is the bride of Christ. We ought to be serving together to reach people with the gospel. We have to get together, get along, be in fellowship together because lost people need to be saved. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul is saying, hey, we are here together on earth. We are looking forward to heaven, but God has left us here and given us this uh, very important responsibility of reaching people with the gospel. You know what? The bridegroom of Christ is expecting of the bride of Christ. He is expecting that we will reach somebody with the gospel. Yearning for heaven leads to soul winning. You can't look forward to heaven and neglect soul winning. You can't say, oh, I can't wait to go to that place. And then look around at lost people and say, oh, it's okay that you're not there. How could those two things exist? They can't. We can't look forward to this place that God has given to every believer and then look at a lost person and not think you could be there too. You should be there too. You have the opportunity. Just leave an invitation with somebody. Pray that God will give you an opportunity. Look for opportunities. Make opportunities. Some of you are introverts. I'm an introvert. Some of you are extroverts. I'm definitely not an extrovert. I'm perfectly okay just staying at home, hanging out with my wife and my kids, and, you know, hanging out with close friends, you know, things like that. It's not in my nature to strike up a conversation with a stranger. That is not normal to me, all right? Some of you, you're okay talking to anybody. You know, you'll make a conversation. That's not normal to me. It's not normal to me, and I'm sure it's not normal to many of you. But if you wait for the opportunity, it might come and go. So as soul winners, we have to create the opportunity. Create a conversation. Maybe it doesn't lead to you sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe it doesn't even lead to them accepting the invitation that you want to give to them. But if heaven is coming, it will lead to us soul winning. 1 Peter chapter 2, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Hey, this world is not our home. We are pilgrims. We ought to live in purity, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. 
among those that are outside, those that are lost, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they might not like what you do, they might not like what you say, they might not like what you teach, but that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know what? If we live as God tells us to live, somebody's going to be saved, and when they get to heaven, they're going to say, I'm glad that you lived as a Christian. I'm glad that you followed the word of God because it showed me that there's a real God and that God can change people's lives and I needed to be changed and it, it showed me that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ could save me from my sins and I, I trusted Christ as my savior. I'm glad for that and we'll be able to see that one day. Are you looking forward to heaven? 